before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to take a second and talk about Nautical Eye. Nautical Eye is an app that will give you full environmental intelligence. What exactly does that mean? It means it's the best weather app I've ever used. Nautical Eye gives you everything you need to know. It has satellites to tell you water temp, ocean color, water quality, wave heights, tides, and the best radars available. It gives you fishing reports and navigational charts to help you venture into your next outdoor experience. I highly recommend Nautical Eye, the best weather app you'll ever use. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. This is Captain Jeff, the Lunker Dog, and uh, welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. As many of you guys know, we've been in the social media game since its infancy. And since social media and big tech is such a hot topic right now, I figured I'd invite Lamont Jones on the podcast today. Uh, Lamont started Better Duck Studios back in 2002, and he's been putting out online content since the beginning. And I just thought that uh, today you guys would enjoy listening to the evolution of social media in the eyes of Lamont Jones. Anyway, Lamont Jones from Better Duck Studios, the original, the king of social media. Lamont, thanks for being on the Real Guy Podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Totally nuts, 2021. And now everybody thinks they know something about social media. Everybody, even the news stations. Even the nerds. Right. (laughs) Did you ever... Would you ever think in a million years, or not a million years, in the last 15 years, from the time we started posting on YouTube to now, that all these learns would actually think that they'd know something about social media? No. And for the most part, they don't. But but they act like they do. They act like they do. Because... Like one of the things that that's a little a pet peeve of mine is the person that that reacts on social media with the little animated gif or the gif. You know what I mean? Whether it's a little clip from a movie or a TV show or something, and it tries to encapsulate their feelings on whatever the subject matter is, and they think they're so clever for posting that, but somebody else made that. Right. You know what I mean? The little comedian laughing or the sitcom dude doing something stupid or whatever. You didn't come up with that. Somebody else did it and categorized it for you and you clicked on it. And now you're patting yourself on the back for being clever. Like, ha look what I posted. But when you look on most people's social media, they don't post original stuff. They either retweet, repost, like, or comment, but there isn't a lot of original, uh, original stuff on. And that's really where we got our first start was, you know, like you always say, original style. Right. Well, people don't even know about original style or even where we ripped that term off from because we act like original style was our term. Right. No, it wasn't our term. And, but we embodied the philosophy. Correct. I mean, you're going back to the early eighties, you know, I mean, 1980, 1981, you graduated in 86. So it was well before it was like, you know, 82, 83, where we really started embracing original style. 
Right. Right. And where did that big influence come from? That influence came from street art, from graffiti, the world of graffiti. When we were young, we were kids. And I was big into art, big into graffiti. We started graffitiing. And there was a couple of good graffiti documentaries out. And we really, really studied those documentaries. One in particular, we studied Style Wars like it was our Bible. And in Style Wars, which was a documentary, PBS produced documentary by Henry Chalfont, I think in 1981 or 82, about the origins of New York City hip hop, rapping, breakdancing, DJing and graffiti. And we really got into, while we were break dancers and DJs and rappers, we really got into the philosophy of the graffiti artists and what they were doing as far as original style, camouflaging, biting, throwing up um, throw-ups, pieces, and burners. And we really adapted to that and did uh, and became kings of our own in Broward County of doing illegal artwork that is ephemeral and gets painted over very quickly. You know what I mean? You don't get to enjoy your art for a long time if you do graffiti. And I'm not talking about that fake stuff that's down there by Austin Burke in Miami. Like that stuff's legal. Those huge spray paint murals and stuff are not graffiti. That's art. But is it it still street art? It's street art. It's aerosol art or spray can art, but it's not a crime and it doesn't take any balls to do it. And you don't have to do it in a specific amount of time. Those guys have 30 and 40 hours in on those Miami heat murals and, you know, the big Chris Bosch and Miami stuff, that stuff that's done painstakingly. Whereas, you know, what we learned from, from style wars and the original style thing is, is okay. How much time do you have to do it? Do you have 30 seconds to jump over a fence and get your, your, your painting up? Do you have two or three minutes? Do you have half an hour? Cause that really the time dedicates what you can do. And we brought those same concepts with us through everything that we've done, whether it was, you know, nightclubs, uh, you know, small bars and, eventually with social media and your business and with fishing and taking over fishing social media, like we did, it's all interconnected. It's all a part of one thing. And, you know, we took it from the early eighties and never thought like, Oh, it was going to be a long-term philosophy. You know, we just did it. And we were like people that don't understand graffiti or think that it's just a, you know, a pock on society or, or something like that. Which is fine. You know, everybody can think what they want about it. But the, what we understood was there's a difference between having one like really nice mural that, that has a lot of detail and maybe lasts for a week before it's painted over versus just getting your tag up on every single corner, on every single block, on every street throughout the whole city. So no matter where somebody is, there's a red light. If they look to the re- left or the right, they're going to see it. Bam. There it is again. Right. And they get clean too. But we learned that the city and, you know, law enforcement and everything, they cannot tackle it like they can a big piece. When you do a big piece, it it lasts maybe a day, it lasts a week, it lasts a month, but it's gone. Whereas when we were doing tags, when we were doing tags, 
You just keep doing them over and over and over and over until people eventually come to accept it. They're like, oh, yeah, there's I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make up names here because I don't want to incriminate ourselves. I think we're pretty good behind the. Um, Dude, I think there's a seven year statute of limitations, so I think we're good. Statute of limitations. But some of these businesses could still probably sue us civilly. So say <laughs> say I wrote the words um, word wrote duck. Right. And I do a whole big piece and it's got Howard the duck when he's in his jail cell with his um, straight jacket on. And you do a big piece and people are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like, how did you do Howard the Duck out of spray paint? And in four days, it's painted over. <laughs> Versus you started writing Duck on phone booths, those aluminum poly or, you know, uh, whatever surface aluminum phone booths there were. And, you know, do it vertically or horizontally or whatever. And people got to figure it out like, God, this guy's done this on every single phone booth. And for the youngsters out there that don't know, there used to be phone booths everywhere. You know what I mean? Right. On every block, there were a couple of phone booths. So say there was a bank of three phones where you'd hit each one and then probably hit it on the side again. And then your buddy would hit it. And if you had a crew, you hit it with your crew name. And if you had a character, you'd throw that on there too. And it becomes repetitive. And it's like almost like com the compound interest where you get to a certain point and it just keeps doubling on itself. Right. 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 And then what? You took that concept and then rolled right into what? YouTube with it? Was that the first? We or went, was it we, the fishing forums? We took that concept and then like in the late 90s, you know, I mean, I was doing some internet stuff and having some success with some blogs and some other things and got contacted by the record companies that I knew from the graffiti world. And they wanted to penetrate at the street level with their marketing. Street marketing was the big thing in the late 90s. These record companies and stuff had huge budgets. They were still selling huge numbers. And instead of just buying ads on MTV or in Rolling Stone magazine or the hip hop magazines, these guys wanted to penetrate at the ground level. They wanted their advertisements for the artists and the new album releases to be on the sides of those phone booths, to be on the streets. And you'd see it in New York. New York would have those big construction retaining walls and they'd just be wallpapered with ads, same ad over and over for an album. You know what I mean? New York always had a handle on it. Well, they wanted to expand it to the South and because of the graffiti concepts and because I knew a lot of kids that were still doing graffiti and everything, the natural thing, remember I was like the first one to have the hip hop website that had those serious ads on it by Coca-Cola and Nike and, those companies that wanted that street level presence. Right. Plus I had a big, um, not following, but a big presence in South beach around the cameo and those clubs down there and those kids. And we were just getting out massive amounts of marketing materials, putting it up everywhere, putting it on overpasses on I-95. Literally putting it on the streets, putting it on the streets. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I mean? And it worked. It were, I mean, it was huge effective. They know, you know, that's not always the uh, most moral thing to do, but, you know, a couple of the companies I worked for, like Nike knew that if they got a neighborhood, how do I phrase this? If they got a, say, in a particular neighborhood, which was drug infested and run by drug dealers, they knew if they got the biggest drug dealer in the neighborhood to wear a particular type of sneakers, that every other kid would go buy those sneakers. So they would give the drug dealer sneakers. 
Whoa. That's street level marketing. That's real streets. That's streets. So that's like the late nineties. Then in 2000, like the record company records, um, industry collapsed and that those marketing budgets were gone. And by the time that the forum started up, I think we jumped on the forums. We were always doing videos. You remember, and we used to right. put the videos go- to videotape and then take the videotapes to the sports bars right? and watch them there. Whether we'd watch our stuff at your bar, a couple of our friends had bars. We had the arena over there on, on Federal and Sunrise and a few other places. And we'd just show up. With the videotapes and be like, oh, put it on. Because we'd be like, oh, this is nuts. This is Chip and Jeff fishing or whatever nonsense is on there. And they'd play it. <laughs> and then around, I guess it was around 2001, 2002, we were doing a lot of videos. But they weren't getting seen by anybody. You know what I mean? They were only being seen by whoever we showed them to. And we were dominating, you were dominating on the old Florida Sportsman Forum. And video playback just wasn't that great online. Right. Like your video was tiny and a tiny little square and nobody had kick-ass bandwidth. 75% of the people were still on dial-up. So you'd kind of have to wait for the video to download and then play it. And it only played in like a, you know, one inch by one inch posted stamped size video player. So it wasn't until March of 2006. Dude, how do you remember the years? (laughs) I'm the worst at that. Like I know I remember going through all this, but I do not remember chronologically how it happened. God, I don't know. But anyway, 2006, March, 2006, YouTube went online And we were ready. Like, instead of being like, oh, wow, what can we put up? We already had tapes and tapes full of content. Now it was 240 interlaced video quality. And then I think 360 or 380 (laughs) interlaced. Which means there's actually alternating fields of video going back and forth like a ping pong. Faster than your eye can see. But it's not a progressive stream like we see now. Like there's kind of a flicker to it and it's, you can't, you could never make it the size of your screen. You had to watch it in a small box, but we put it up really just so we could watch our stuff from our homes without having to go to each other's houses. We were doing a lot of stuff with Bursa man and with freshwater Rob and the old characters. And the first thing I think one of the first things we put up was the freshwater Rob challenge, which was the video was half fishing report half song by Bursa man. And then the rest was you catching a seawall snook making fun of freshwater Rob. (laughs) And we put that video up and I remember like, you know, I had to call you in Bursa and be like, it's on, like it's going to be uploaded in three hours because you had to wait. YouTube had to process your video. It's up like one o'clock in the morning now. All right, watch it. Yeah. Play it again. And it had a counter, an accurate counter. And you're like, the next morning, I'm like, how many times did you watch it? And you're like, I don't know, three or four. And I'm like, to Bursa, like, same thing. And I'm like, I probably watch it like 10. So at the most, we're at 20 views. Well, it says 100. Like, so who the hell else watched it? Right. Right. And then 
and 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 I don't think I need to realize that the whole purpose of uploading to YouTube was convenience. Was convenience, so we could eliminate having to go to each other's houses with the videotapes. Right. It wasn't about how many people were going to see it or how many likes we were going to get or how many comments we were going to get. It was strictly convenience. No, right. Our biggest worry was we were worried that other people, local people were watching it and that they were going to either figure out where we were fishing or what we were using and this and that. And it wasn't, I I think until like, you know, a year or two later when analytics actually came out and you're like, Jeff, like 75% of our views are coming from Asia. Like nobody (laughs) in Broward County is really watching it. Yeah. There's a couple people, but that's not where the majority of the views are coming from other places like Brazil and Thailand. And you, and I remember back in the day when you were telling me about Thailand and you, you figured that was because we were cast netting and cast netting was popular in Thailand. So they loved it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Once the first video we had to go big and a lot of the videos aren't even on there anymore. Like I re encoded the freshwater Rob Lunker in your face video re-encoded it and re-uploaded it so it's still on there but at one point like probably i don't know 40 50 videos from 2006 2007 i either deleted because they look so bad or youtube removed a lot of them too because we did have some music issues and i was you know early on in the youtube thing you were getting a lot of trouble early on you know we were putting rap songs on videos and this and that so there's probably yeah, I'm guessing, but anywhere between 40 and 50 million views that are gone from YouTube that were deleted, that I either deleted or YouTube deleted. Right. So one of the first videos we had that really took off was the tuna with you and cousin Eric and Carl Fran Antonio. Right. And you guys caught that big tuna and you hoisted it with the crane and cut those big, you know, huge chunks out of it and everything. And people had never seen anything like that. You know, the two things that we had, two issues that we had were one, we were catching snook, lunker snook, which are only in South Florida and the lateral points in Central America. Right. Very small <laughs> audience. Right. A very small audience and very small for search. Right. Yeah, I mean, if we were catching largemouth bass or sharks or whatever. So we did that tuna video and that thing jumped up to like 100,000 views and we were like, holy crap. That's a one and a half football stadiums. Right. Do you remember we would we would gauge how many viewers there were by trying to imagine them sitting in a football stadium? Right. Two football stadiums, dude. Right. <laughs> and we just kept uploading. You know what I mean? We had like our workflow was I'd pretty much upload the video the day that we shot it. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to put a lot of time and effort into um, a video that may take off or may not take off. It was the same. It was the, the graffiti belief system of don't waste a lot of time in something that might get painted over in two days. Just keep putting them up, put another one up, make them good, make them as good as you can make them, but spend two or three hours editing and then upload it. Right. Right. Now let me ask you a question because you started uploading that stuff so early and saw the numbers dramatically change according to what you were uploading. Do you take any credit for creating 
or um, discovering what they would call clickbait now? Because, I mean, in my opinion, when I look back at it, you know, and it's way easier to see it now. Yeah. But in a weird way is we helped invent clickbait. Right. Do you see it that way? <laughs> I mean- like the, you've, we've known each other since we were real little kids, right? And I've always gotten a kick out of getting somebody. You know what I mean? Getting somebody. Getting somebody to either bite on whatever little controversial statement I made that they think that they, you know, they think they've got something, but they didn't realize that it's all, it's all trolling. It's all putting a bait out there and getting to see if somebody will bite the hook. You know, the people... One misconception, I always ask people online when I get called a troll or this and that, people think that a troll is a noun, that it's like the little guy that lives under the bridge is a troll, and that's the person who pisses people off online and starts arguments and all this stuff. And you're like, no, you have it wrong. The troll is a verb. It's a fishing troll. It's putting your bait out there. And can you get somebody to take it? The process. You know what I mean? So we knew we had a set of self-imposed rules that we followed early on. And you were like, look, I can't, I made a promise to Opnell. I can't disclose the way we, that I throw the cast net. And I was like, that's fine. We don't have to disclose. I, you know, I'll cut away or we'll do this and that. But we didn't let that prevent us from creating that clickbait. We're like, you know, here's how you throw the net. <laughs> you and know, we made out. Right. We made half dozen of them and they were all like one line jokes where at the crucial moment of showing how you actually load the thing up in your hands to launch it, the camera would either, you know, zoom in on your face or it would cut to color bars like the video transmission was lost or somebody would walk in front of the camera and then it would rejoin and it'd be like, okay, and now just throw it. And that people would get so mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? To because this, I don't... To, this, to this day, to this day, people get on my boat and they'll laugh at it now, but they were severely pissed. And they the were severely days. pissed. Dude, I get pissed when it happens to me. <laughs> I get severely pissed. If I'm like, look up a recipe online or some kind of thing, how do I stop a faucet leak or whatever? And the guy doesn't immediately get right to it. You're like, ah, oh, come on, dude, you're wasting my time with this video. Like, get the hell out of it. <laughs> you know what right. I mean, now if the guy purposefully was like, here, you take this size washer and then never showed it, <laughs> and then just showed his faucet working, you'd be, you'd want to punch the screen. And we just kept doing it over and over and over until guys finally caught on and they were in on the joke. They're like, yeah, he's not going to show you how to do it. And then you had other guys that, you know, the smart people like Mike Wallace were like, you know, there's like seven different videos. If you compile them together, kind of like how the NFL does those goal line videos, you know, is his knee down or not? Well, if you use angle two and then angle four at the same time and Wallace actually figured out how to throw the net. Well, Wallace was a di- digital genius. Right. But it took a digital genius to figure it out. Right. <laughs> you were like, Wallace, which video did you learn that from? Well, I, you know, I took like all of them and compiled like a, you know, a giant file. You know, like, oh my God. <laughs> There's a lot of people now that um, brag about being able to throw the hen, the 
cast net with one hand or ninja style or whatever you want to call it. And they don't do it the correct way. Right. And I still, to this day, I won't level with them or even let them know. I'll just congratulate them. No, good job, pal. Knowing that, you know, they still don't got it. Yeah. I mean, the the one way for me to disqualify it is because there's a lot of guys that make it look like they can throw it like that, but they can never get the net low enough to be stealth mode. It's always a high arcing right. trajectory that the net takes, and you'll never get, you know, um, mullet that have, that have had pressure on them by throwing the net high like that. Like, yeah, you can get happy bait mullet, but if, you know, you're really trying to nail half dozen or whatever, like, that's why guys throw lures. Right. The, when did When did you see, when did you see the social media, especially in video, start to change because it was a long time. It was a long time before the TV dudes actually caught on to what was going on on YouTube. Oh my God. It was like 10 years. I was almost right. A long time. Yeah. No, they were so far behind and we were so far ahead because you know, we've told these stories on the podcast before, but we'd watch these shows and I was always, you know, big into performance and big into, uh, camera and acting and doing that kind of stuff. And we'd, we'd always joke and I'd be like, Jeff, I swear to God, if we do a, a fishing show, like one episode, we're not going to catch anything because that's the truth of fishing. Like these guys never go a trip without getting something and that's not real fishing. And we're never going to do lures. And we had all this other stuff. So once we figured out that we had the camera gear and it kept getting easier and easier to use the gear that our style you know, like, like the original style, we were 10 years ahead. The TV guys, they couldn't even get it. They couldn't understand the fact that one video could be three minutes and the next video you uploaded could be seven. And then you could come back with a four minute one that had a song in the middle of it and that there were no rules. They wanted there to be an, an outline, a, a, a guide. Same thing as television. I mean, one thing that I'm flattered by, I don't, I don't, it doesn't get me mad. But and they all do it, all the big YouTubers and all the TV guys is the absolute ripoff of our bait getting videos where it starts with the throw. And then the moment it leaves the hands, it goes into slow motion until it hits the water. Then you speed it up. Then you slow it down when the full net is near the boat and you see, you know, the droplets coming off and the net is slap full and then cut to opening it over the bait well. And I mean, how many guys have, have you seen do that now? All of them. And all of them have used that exact same progression um, in their intros for TV. So they actually took the clickbait from online, put it on TV and tried to freaking take advantage of it that way. Also. Because I can tell you right now, before the CastNet videos were up on YouTube, you could look at all the fishing shows ever produced for TV, and you might have found a CastNet somewhere in one or two of them. And today, the vast majority of saltwater fishing shows, it's about the CastNet. Jesus. (laughs) And that's all about inventing clickbait. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, like going back to our original style or whatever, I had, you know, the 
penchant for repetition. So like, dude, he's going to do it again in another video and another one and another one and another one. And it worked on them because then when they started making videos, they were like, oh, dude, you got to start with bait. Right. The least they could have done was given us a heads up and been like, hey, lunker dog. But they people know, you know, what I mean, there's a head nod. There's definitely right. a head nod in the industry where guys are like, yeah, we bite. Right. One of the things that is is totally amazing to me is that the even to this day, there's a lot of stuff that they couldn't bite or they couldn't copy. Like you were the first person to actually incorporate characters in the YouTube right. episodes. So right. when somebody would click the YouTube episode, they would refer to the big Bursa man Bursa as the big yeah. Bursa man Bursa or freshwater Rob as freshwater Rob or wide right Matt, or we can go down the list of the, I don't know how many characters that yeah. you actually made yeah, for YouTube. Yeah. And even to this <laughs> day, I don't see productions that have characters. No. And that goes back a long time. Yeah, I mean, it goes a long way before YouTube and everything else. We were doing crazy stuff in high school in middle school. Like you just can't like even the guys that do big videos or have good YouTube channels or good TV shows or whatever, they're purely academic. Like they're how to, you right. know what I mean? We've never done how to and the how to that we think the people think there's like, Oh wow, Jeff did do a how to. Yeah. No, you got taken again. <laughs> Very true. Which was the Very goal true. from the onset. We never, we never like started out to be like, Oh, we're going to teach people everything that we know that was never going to happen. Like if they got a little bit, be happy and give a thumbs up and say, thanks in the comments. You know what I mean? Right. But it, we're never going to do, Academic videos are how-tos. Right, right. Do you feel, do you feel duped at all by social media now that you've been in it for so long and considering what it's like now to what you thought it was going to be or what you were able to take advantage of early? No, no. It's still in its infancy. Like social media is still in diapers. Like it can't even, you know, YouTube is 15 years old. They're just having their first beer. Like they're just hooking up with their first chicks. <laughs> and Twitter is 11 years old. And Facebook is 10 or 11 years old for most people. The funny thing is, is that we're old as dirt. I mean, I'm older than you. And I got on Facebook in 2007 because I met some girls that came by the set of a TV show that were like, oh, you're on Friendster and you're nah, it's all about Facebook. And I'm like, oh, that's for university kids only, right? It's invite only. And they're like, don't worry. She works for the university. She can get you an invite. And I was on Facebook with two girls from Australia that were my only two friends like for a year and a half, two years. Before anybody else from Lauderdale High even got on. And I was like, geez, I put in on Facebook on my profile that I went to Fort Lauderdale High. And it'll only let me friend people that also went to Fort Lauderdale High early on in Facebook, like 2007. 
And I was like, they're never taking into consideration that I went to four different high schools. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I've got American heritage dudes, friends. I've got um, Gibbons friends. I've got friends from Westminster Academy. Like how come I can't? And then eventually the walls of Facebook started cracking where you could go outside of your education um, social and friend other people. And then it really started opening up because like you went to St. Thomas and Lauderdale. I went to Lauderdale and Gibbons and now it's open. Like I'm friends with, you know, all the people that you were cool with at St. Thomas, Martha, Stranahan people, the judges and them, and then Gibbons people like Timmy O'Connor and all his people. And that's the way it should be. But they're two different worlds. I've never been big into pimping the content on the Facebook friends. I've always looked at it like, okay, we've created the groups and the pages where there's a little bit of crossover, you know, like Bursa Mans and all the groups and Freshwater Rob and Matt Capiello and those people. But for the most part, the majority of my high school friends who I'm neither cool with or not cool with. They're not in my life. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like Because we went to 10th grade together. Okay, we're friends now on Facebook, but you're not in my social circle and you're not really a friend of mine. Not that I don't like you. We just never cross paths. So when you create the, the pages or the groups on Facebook, we're now, okay, everybody in the mullet run, they're on there because those were people that wanted to fish the mullet run and wanted the information on where the bait was and this and that. And we created that group. Now those are the people that you push the, um, the content to, you know what I mean? Or let them, you know, decide whether they want it or not. Right. And it's always, it's always, um, changing. You know what I mean? Each social media platform, Facebook is the slowest to change, but Twitter and YouTube, they're different every day. Yes. It's a different thing. It's like traffic. You know what I mean? Sometimes the traffic's down there by Ives Dairy. Sometimes it's there by Sunrise. Like you never know what it's going to be. And it always gets left behind. Like it's the biggest one. YouTube is the biggest social network and nobody considers it a social network. They always right. go, oh, Facebook, um, Twitter, you know. Right. They don't, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't include YouTube. I can remember YouTube before it had comments. Right. And then, then I can remember YouTube when I wouldn't even look at the video anymore. I would go straight to the comments. It was like a big change very quickly when the comments were able to be posted underneath the video. What you look at, like the power of YouTube is look at how close we are now with Ryan and Horse Cranker and Sabokowitz. And those guys came straight from YouTube and we've gotten really nobody to penetrate, you know, as a friend from Twitter or Facebook, like the react. And it's going back to what you're saying about creating the characters. It's making the connection. Neither, neither of those guys fish for snooker tarpon. They didn't buy into it because we were giving them something of value. They bought into it because they liked the characters that connected with the people that were on the, on the screen. You know, the Canadian, yeah, he's up there, Canadians up there catching pickerel and walleye. 
Todd wants to catch meat. He's big into groupers and snappers. And Sabokowicz deer hunts and catches brook trout. But we all made the, the connection was because of the personalities. The entertainment value. The entertainment value. Of course, then you get people that are groupies. And because I'm behind the scenes intentionally and masked, like you're the one who's collected all the groupies, the weirdos. <laughs> the, <coughs> the, the original guide groupie, <laughs> Captain Dave McKenzie. Wow. He was the original guide groupie. Right. That guy knew all the guides. He knew what they were into. He knew what they posted. He knew who caught what, where their territories were, the regions. He even knew how much people charged. He was right. the first original guide groupie. How much they paid for their boat, everything. <laughs> and who would think that that type of information is the fruit of social media now? People love media. the fact that they know something about somebody or something. Right. And then they'll pound their chest and spread it and share it. And they just love it. I mean, the transition, like you can go back and watch the history of like the first year of videos and stuff that we were doing with Bursa and we were doing with Freshwater Rob and doing with you off water. Like we did some boat show videos and some other stuff. And you were in a totally different world then. You were in that yacht grind. Selling yachts. With freaking yacht broker dudes. Wearing <laughs> slacks. You know, picking up lunch tabs and shit. And saving receipts. Right. Like you, you, your client base prior to YouTube was dudes that your father was like, you got to fish with Jeff. Big right. money guys. And then if those guys had like one or two word of mouths and you were getting a couple trips a year with guys that were not normal clients, you know I mean, you had like a boutique guide agency. And then I remember YouTube and we'd, they, you know, they, they'd instant message or they'd leave a comment and I'd be like, Jeff, man, you gotta, you gotta put up a, a, a page or this and that. And you're like, yeah, I took a guy last night. Well, how did he see it? Dude, he saw that stupid video with the pilchards and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and you're like, Oh God. And then I got real busy and you got real busy and a couple of years went by and dude, you were doing five trips a week. Right. And it was like that yacht broker thing. That's in the rear view window. Like social media changed all that. That it did. That it did. And I mean, you remember the, Going back, going back a little ways, probably to early, like 2006, 2007, where we infiltrated the forums. AOL was still around and Florida Sportsman had a forum and maybe Blair Wiggins had a forum and some other stuff. And we went in there just like we go in everywhere, you know, enter the room like you're Godzilla and guys got mad. Oh, did they get pissed? You know what I mean? Like you guys are posting these dink snooks and this and that. And we had Bursa Man, and he's good for you know putting people down, and has a loud, booming voice and this and that. And we would put our videos up, and they would take them down. They take them right down and give you a warning: you are not allowed to link to your videos. Well, dude, our videos aren't product. They're actually showing people catching snook. Like we're not pimping lures or getting any, you know stepping on the toes of your advertisers, but they just didn't like it because they didn't like it. Well, they didn't like it because they didn't have it. Right. You know, I remember Florida sportsman. 
I mean, people don't want to, you know, say names. We'll say names. Florida Sportsman was friggin' livid that we could do fishing video on their forum and they couldn't. Right. It was bothering them big time. What's up with that? Especially considering today and for the last five or six years, they've been doing a TV show that's a spinoff from the forum. Right. Talk about something going full circle. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think those companies like Florida Sportsman and stuff today even get social media? No, because they want, they're in the business of control and you can't control anything on social media. That's the truth. You can't. It's going to do its own thing. And when you're so used to old business, like they are the old business model, that you can't be like these guys. I don't know why they're making fun of fishing oil, fishing real oil. It's not funny. I don't get the point. And then they look down and it's got 43,000 views and it's all thumbs up and people are laughing hysterically in the comments. And they're like, it's not even good information. <laughs> and like, that's not how the game's played. Go watch one of your videos on fishing oil and it's lame. You know what I mean? You guys yeah. have uh, videos on how to oil your reel too. And they're lame. We were never going to come across like that. <laughs> I can remember the, I can remember the video when we talked about the, like what, four different types of fishing lube. It was all fake. Yeah. And people ran with it, laughed about it. And then the Florida sports of the world never got it. Never got it. We've got one video. It's still getting 10,000 views a month, probably, which is the one with you with that big, huge, Horse trough well you put in your backyard. <laughs> the live well video. The live well with the bilge pump that may have been installed backwards. Whatever it was, guys are still giving advice on it. Yep. They're yep. like, oh, no, no, you guys have a, a, a copper intake thing. You got to change that to rubber and then put a small little screen over it. And you're like, dude, dude, we quit that thing eight years ago. <laughs> but that thing still gets a lot of views and people still comment on it and they love it. Yeah. 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 Well, I think today, um, and I, and I remember the kid the other day that I was telling you about that I took fishing and he got that huge fish and his dad missed the jumps and he didn't get it on Instagram. Yep. And I was telling you how it was kind of bothered me. Yeah. Because the kid like wasn't getting, you know, the, the, the real value of hooking a fish like that or having a fish like that. Ironically, <coughs> That same kid reached out to me about two days after I explained that to you. Uh -huh. And what he did was he didn't know me from Adam when he booked me. He didn't know me from social media or whatever. He did like a, just a Google search. Yeah. But he went back and looked at the social media and he was like, oh my God, because the guy that I was fishing with was the dude that was doing this type of social media way back when he actually learned about it and then texted me after the fact to let me know that he enjoyed the trip and that, um, that he wanted to go again, but right. it was just kind of crazy to me that I was kind of like, not upset, but I was like a little discouraged that the kid was so worried about his Instagram account 
that he lost the whole value of what happened that day. I mean, it, it's really sad. It's not just him. That's that entire generation and older. Do you know what I mean? And we've always been in the content game. Like content has been the big word, you know, going on for the last five or six years. But we've been creating content since we were 13 years old. Whether we're having um, base-offs with Jampony and CM Express with Mr. Zinn's gear or putting out mixtapes. How many mixtapes did we make and sell and give away and all that stuff and drawings and art and then back into graffiti. Like we've been creating content for a long time. And when you, this goes to mothers, to young moms, to anybody out there that is obsessed with their camera and acquiring content you're never going to experience your kid's two-year-old birthday party again if you're behind the f- camera the whole time. Like, yeah, get a picture. Then put your camera back in your purse and enjoy your kid's second birthday. And if you right. want to recreate something after the fact and be like, all right, everybody say happy birthday, and you film that, then you have it. But when you're behind the camera or you're in front of the camera performing, you're not experiencing what you're really experiencing. You're worrying about it. You know what I mean, and we've had moments too. You've had it. We're like, oh, we need to get this fish on camera or whatever. And we've bought into the, you know, clout chasing too. And then you're mad. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? The best fish that we've ever got on videos are ones where you just start catching it and I'm rolling. You know what I mean? But the moment you're like, we're going to create content here. You're not experiencing it. And I was, when I was telling you, well, I'll relay it for the audience here, which gets me is the, um, Football players are immediately after the game, whether they win or lose, they upload their highlights to Instagram. And they're more worried about their Instagram than they are whether they won or lost the game. And that is a bad path to start going down. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, it's just so the whole thing is just so deceptive what the kids actually think that's happening with their Instagram account and what's actually happening couldn't be further apart. Right. Do you think kids are getting duped? They're duped. They're duped. duped. 100%. 100%. And even worse, it are girls like boys and whatever the kid wanted to get his Instagram thing up. But for the, for girls, it's just unbelievable the amount of clout chasing that they do and heartbreak that they get when they upload a picture to Instagram and it only gets three likes or they forget to get a moment like, Oh, we went to um, brunch and had mimosas and eggs Benedict. And I forgot to get a, a, a picture like dude, nobody needs to see that again, but that crushes them. That crushes them. Oh, you know, and they live, they live for that. And it's easy for me to say, like, I'm, you know, make a living creating content and being behind the camera. But I know the difference between living real life and being employed. And, you know, I've shot a lot of concerts and stuff. And you're behind the camera and you're in the eyepiece and you shoot the whole concert. And then for, you know, the next day you see everything square because your eye is trained to looking through that viewfinder thing. But when I go to a concert, I take a couple pictures of the stage and then I put my camera in my back pocket. And you look around and all these people are videoing the whole show. No one's ever going to watch that again. 
You never you know, know nobody's, nobody's watching those Fourth of July fireworks videos that people are taking with their phones. None. You're just None. not watching that over and over again. None. Dude, people don't even watch their own wedding video, which is pretty much the best content that anybody will self-produce. And it's like, geez, this is like, can we cut it down to two minutes? It's like 20 minutes, this thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? And the average person just, they acquire, there's a lot of good in it, okay? There's a a tremendous upside to it that they never um, talk about, right? I've always been into cameras and I've always had cameras and a lot, you know, the new camera every week and this and that. But for the first time in history, females have cameras, Nicole has a camera. Your daughter has a camera. The best is your daughter having a camera because prior to her generation, women weren't allowed to have cameras. The family had a camera and dad, you know, operated the camera. And that was that. And with the exception of a few like crazy female photographers and, you know, outliers and stuff, for the most part, the women just sat there like Edith Bunker with their hands folded together. Like, okay, here, my husband's going to get mad now because the flash isn't going to work and the <laughs> pictures are going to be dark and all this and that. Well, now girls have really good cameras and their aesthetics are totally different than guys. And they take pictures of different things that guys would never see. Tiny little flowers growing in a friggin' sidewalk or something. So that's an upside to technology and social media and stuff is now girls are empowered and really good looking girls can take selfies that look as good as magazine ads. They no longer need the weirdo photographer right. dude that's going to put them in a compromising position. Dude, the camera's good enough now. Like if you're gorgeous and you're a model, every picture you take of your face is perfect. <laughs> right. And there's apps now and stuff. The, yep. the, air, the airbrushing that used to have to happen for photography and that kind of thing. They can just do it with an app. Yeah, and- I mean, because like the percentage of creeps in the world when it comes to cameras the creep factor goes way up i mean i have to tell you how many dudes have said to us like hey dude you've got cameras and boats like i can get girls like dude that's not the game like i've never had a problem with girls or whatever like we don't do that i don't creep right like that's not why i have cameras right yeah i think i think the whole duping process um couldn't be more apparent but everybody keeps falling for it with the number of likes thumbs ups and emojis and that type of thing like i'm not a real big fan of all that the comments i'm a fan of if you're going to spend a few minutes to actually put a thought down in a comment i think that's a good idea and i'm usually entertained by it right but the like thing whether I got five likes or 500 likes, I don't know. Doesn't It doesn't register with me. And that frigging absolutely rules the vast majority of social media, like, Instagram or types. I had a comment removed today on Facebook of mine. From Facebook? Never, yes, that never happens to me because I get no Facebook trouble. I don't know how these people get in Facebook trouble, considering I'm the original guy that got kicked out of everywhere, that I've never been kicked off Facebook. But today, on the Fort Lauderdale forum on Facebook, somebody said, am I the only one that calls the plaza south of 26th Street on Federal Highway Jefferson's? And I put the comment, only dicks. <laughs> You get thrown off for that? Because 
That's where Dick Sporting Goods is. Right. Right. I thought that people would get it and be like, oh, no, that's very clever. No, no, no. I just got banned. I didn't get banned from Facebook, but they erased the comment. Like, and I even put the apostrophe in there for all the stupid people that would be like, huh? What's that guy? What's he pissed off about? No, no. Where you're calling where Jefferson's was, but that's the joke. Only dicks now. (laughs) Dude, I'd say the vast majority of our audience has been put in some sort of social media freaking penalty box. I would say a lot of them because they just can't help themselves. I never thought in a million years that there would be any type of censorship on any of the social media platforms. Did you see that coming? Only the really bad stuff. Only like the worst of the worst stuff. Like, you know, we've got a couple videos with our friends, kids on them and stuff. And I have to be vigilant on that because there are scumbags that say totally inappropriate shit. Right. I mean, I'm the First Amendment guy. I was the only guy at the Broward County Courthouse that was marching pro two live crew. <laughs> the people didn't even understand my friggin' poster. They were like, what side are you even on, dude? I'm on Luke's side. What are you kidding me? But there is a line and saying sexually inappropriate stuff about kids can't have it okay you know can't have it i buy into that i buy in that what about this all this political censorship that we're seeing nowadays did you see that coming i didn't see that coming neither did i a lot of the stuff i didn't see coming because it's not just political it's a lot of stuff i think there's stuff that um that i can swallow you know well let me back it up let me back it up we have a forum on um, Facebook that is a jerk off forum. That is the real guy Lunker group, which is a bunch of fishermen that post about everything other than fishing. Right. That post memes, dumb ones. Right. (laughs) And everybody that's in it, like people join and then they unjoin the next day. People get it really quick. Now I've had to restrict them from doing political stuff because it will change the entire group and it'll kill it. Poison it. It'll poison it from either side. If they put this, you know, political character up, these people are going to get mad and they're going to respond with another thing. And then it becomes totally that. And I'm like, God, if we can get these guys to obsess about, you know, deer keys, deer, then that, that actually, They can't steal or glom stuff off of television or somebody else's material because the material that's on the real guy Lunker Club is pretty much original material. Like, don't come with some like hot meme you found in the morning and post it on there and think you're going to get away with it. People will be like, dude, that's dumb. Like, that's on everybody else's page. Our stuff is pretty original on here. And, you know, between Sabokowitz and Sean Murphy and Ryan and, you know, everybody, we make our stuff. So I've just been like, no political at all. Now, to me, the whole meme thing, that's like social media graffiti. Right. That's where people, that's where people 
will actually spend some time and some energy trying to make something funny or cute or whatever it may be, whatever they're trying to get across through memes. Yeah. Yeah. Meme guys. Right. Like a person that like, you know, is looking for a fishing group in South Florida or whatever that joins and sees like 15 memes about milk that make no sense and aren't funny. And it's just like, I don't get it. Like, what the hell does this have to do with fishing? Now, do we have fishing serious groups too? This is a complete diversion here where people, where it's art. You know, the memes are art. If you're making memes, that's art. Posting somebody else's meme isn't an art. You know what I mean? You can bite and take somebody else's concept and twist it into your own. And then it's your art. But just posting like something from the office or Jerry Springer or whatever, like, no, no, post that somewhere else. This is for original stuff over here. Hmm. So what do you think the, the, the percentage of online content creators that actually understand the value of original style? 1%, 3% or less. Right, right. Yeah, you know I mean, you have like a couple different styles that people can do. One is the really good-looking, charming person that people connect with. And that's tele television and movies. If you're extremely charismatic and good-looking and stuff, people will just watch you. That's how Hollywood exists. You know what I mean? Right. Because once people find out what those people are really like, it's a turnoff. Like, oh, that guy, uh, uh, that guy's a tool. You know what right. I mean? But as long as the Hollywood f smoke screen is up, you're like, God, oh, that guy's a badass, friggin' Bruce Willis, man. You just don't want to know him in real life. Then you have the people that can create stuff, which is like, whatever, 3%, less than 5%, maybe, that have an idea and can execute it and get a laugh or reaction out of other people. And then your third group, which is going to be like your 80% are the people that just copy other people's stuff and then try to improve it. Right. You know what I mean? Well, dude, like, it's, yeah, got, but it's gotten so crazy with um, Instagram, especially where they just take some stuff that you did 15 years ago and they just totally creep it, post it on their own account. Like they made it. Yeah. And that's rampant right now. And people are getting a crazy amounts of views, totally stealing somebody else's content. Does that, that get, that, does that get under your skin at all? You just, you just roll with it. It doesn't get my skin because we've got no money in the game. Right. Yeah. You know I mean, like Timmy's video that God knows how many times it's been stolen and how many places it's uploaded and how many millions, hundreds of millions of views it has, the total cost we have in that video is zero. <laughs> I mean, well, in hard dollars, in hard dollars, right? In hard dollars. See, my thing when they do that, and I've reached out to different Instagrammers and they act like they're doing you a favor, like, oh, well, more people are going to see your stuff. And I says, well, I said, if you put that type of energy into getting it yourself, I go, I'd look at your stuff. But instead, I'm looking right. at my stuff that you're posting. But I don't think that right. registers. Well, it doesn't register. And 
just it's getting harder and harder for people to pay for content that they don't think they should have to pay for. There's a funny meme out there that plays on like a restaurant that tells a musician, hey, um, we don't have any money, but if you come play at our restaurant on Friday night, it'll be huge exposure for you. And maybe you can sell some CDs and some other stuff like that and expand your your base. And then you just flip it where the musicians are like, hey, a bunch of us are going to be jamming tonight. Why don't you bring all your cooking stuff over to my house and make us all food? (laughs) You know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, no. And we're used to paying for stuff. And we got a lot of stuff free. We had a lot of perks back in the days or whatever. But nobody now pays for anything. You know what I mean? Like, whether it's the big MMA fight. Like, those are the guys like, yeah, we're getting like, Timmy's mad they've got his video up or whatever. But like, I don't have that ACC network to be able to watch the hurricane games, but I know how to get it. Right. You know what I mean? And if there was a tip jar on it, we'd be like, okay, here's two bucks or whatever. I'd probably tip, but there isn't. And you watch it and there. You, you run the risk of losing the feed with a minute to go in a tie game, but just no one pays for anything. You know what I mean? Everyone wants movies, music, everything for free. And they just don't, they don't get it. Do you think they're starting to get it with these subscription based type, um, companies like the coastal community network where people there's a certain type of media that they're willing to one pay for and two think it's important enough to pay for yeah more so that was something that they actually connect with than versus stealing netflix which they don't connect with and they just want them the content you know what i mean if you make the personal connection with the person like i like i said that i would have tipped you know, because I love the hurricanes and this and that to me, that's important. Like, Oh wow. You provided a service for me. Comcast doesn't carry the channel. There's no way for me to legally get it in South Florida. So here, let's work something out on the side, which frigging ESPN and the ACC should be doing anyway. But yeah, if you're into conservation and water um, quality in South Florida and everything, you're much more likely to give your money to the you know, the CCN than you are to Netflix to make a documentary about it. Right. Like, Oh, you know, there's probably going to be a documentary on the, on the sewage stuff and everything. And Oh, it's on Netflix. And if Netflix was like, Hey, you live in South Florida. Um, it's going to cost you $2 more to watch it so that that money can go to, you know, Dean like, no, I want it for nothing. Right. 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 See that. That that gives me it intrigues me that at this stage of the game with content distribution that I think the TV networks are going to get even more obsolete because people are figuring out ways to see the stuff, like you said before, for free. And now they know they can see the stuff and are willing to actually pay for it. Right. I think there's a, I think, and I think that's a, something that's happened in the last 24 months that we've never seen before. Right. I like it. Yeah. I think that the direction of social media on the positive side, that's the positive. Right. You know what I mean? And it'll get mixed up. It's going to, it's everything, the decks are going to constantly be reshuffled. It might not move as fast as people want it to move. But they will move. I, you know, everybody's mad right now with the social networks. 
they canceled one entire social network. The other social networks people are boycotting or, you know, unsubscribing to or quitting or whatever. They'll, the decks will get reshuffled. The voids will be filled. You know what I mean? It might not happen as fast as people want to overturn things like YouTube and Facebook, but there will be alternatives to it. Right. You know? Right. And I firmly believe that. And I it's going to move have... a lot faster than network TV moved for us and for our parents. So for the people like, Jesus Christ, there isn't one after one week. Calm down. <laughs> you know what I mean? We had three TV channels for 50 years. It ain't taken 50 years to get rid of Facebook and YouTube or have viable um, alternatives. Right. Right. So wrapping this thing up, what encourages you most going forward with social media? Oh, this, just the same thing as day one in graffiti, the reaction. You know what I mean? The reaction is the best, um, the best endorphin or whatever, dopamine. You know, they've proven that like when people fight online, that all, that gives them the dopamine or the whatever um, Energy, secretion right. in their brain gives them a little bit of happiness that if the other person responded and they're even in a fight with somebody that empowers them, we've never been on that highway. You know what I mean? Our best thing is that someone shared it and said, Oh my God, did you see this now? Getting back to like the real use of YouTube. And one of the great things about it is if you pull the little pull tab off your tuna can, you can go on YouTube and be like, how do I open a tuna can without the pull tab? Right. right. And it'll show you how to do it. Oh, sh I got to get out the can opener. Look at that. Right. But at no point will I be like Jeff and Nicole, you got to watch this video on this guy opening the tuna can unless the guy that's doing it is worth watching. And it's funny or crazy or whatever. You know what I mean? So the, the cream of the crop or the cream will always rise to the top as far as content, no matter what we're doing. If we're doing sabiki rigs or what's better, cork or foam handles, it's never about what the title's about. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the more platforms we can get on there, I don't know if you saw the memes that I did yesterday while I was watching the games. And I, I uploaded uh, on Facebook. I didn't, I, I didn't see them. Yeah, I did a whole bunch of them. I did like Tony Romo. I showed Tony Romo in his suit. And then the next one, I showed him in front of a bunch of ribs. And I said, Tony Roma. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did one Drew Brees with him in front of a coconut tree. And then I did one of him on coconut trees that are getting blown down. And, you know, it was Drew Brees, Drew Hurricane. Right now, they didn't get a huge response. The boys on the group text were just like blocked. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even like, like when you lose Noodle and Vinny, you know, like, oh boy, I'm really on the bottom here. But whatever, those things may come back. And one of them actually got some likes, which was Dan Marino with him in the uniform throwing the ball and then him standing in front of a bunch of sport fish, Dan Marina. <laughs> and there you go, guys. From Early 2000s to 2021, we leave it with Dan Marina and a meme. Exactly. Social media has come to this. <laughs>
Well, Lamont, keep producing content, keep making people laugh, and um, let's see what happens. Social media, the next page, going it forward. Changes, it changes every, every day. People don't get discouraged and stop getting kicked off stuff. You think it's healthier just to keep your mouth shut or keep your memes to a friggin' just Time and place. You know what I mean? So these guys bragging about getting kicked off, they're definitely friggin' not getting it. There's people who are taking serious pride in getting kicked off multiple platforms right now. I mean, far be it from me to tell somebody else what to post or whatever. But I'm like, that's not how we're using it. That's not, we've never been used using social media as a form of combat. Right. You know what I mean? We've always like, let us put our arms around you. Everybody we're right. Like it's a big tent. Come on right. in. Everybody's welcome. Right. I tell you another, I tell you another thing that, um, the different angle that we took that you don't see a lot of the people, especially people that are in the content business. But we've always promoted other content creators. Oh, Put yeah. Put them on of a pedestal, promoted them, talked about them, and always wished them well. I don't see that going on in the social media world. I see it every man for himself and the greed. There's a greed factor out there. That's not, they're not, those aren't the real guys. It's in art world, there's also curation. And some of the greatest curators were guys like Picasso that knew who, who else's stuff to collect and to promote. And Hemingway, who surrounded himself with other writers that he promoted. And without Gene Simmons and Kiss, there'd be no Van Halen. He, Gene Simmons discovered Eddie Van Halen. Right. And for the people that are only looking out for themselves or whatever, they never get it. They never get that. That like, oh, I love... Um, you know, good mullet videos. So if I see a good mullet video, I'm going to promote it too. I'm going to curate it and put it within our stuff instead of being like, Oh dude, I can't believe that guy's doing mullet videos now. <laughs> you know, curation is a huge thing in the art world. Curation. Yeah. All right. I'm rolling with curation going forward. Um, music. It's huge in music. You think about, um, you know, trees like they like they have the coaching trees you know belichick and then sabin and the guys underneath him well it's the same thing like in music and it's the same thing in social media or in the fishing world or whatever it's like who did you bring along with you which other guys that were with you also you know did it too or is it just you like that is a lonely existence if you didn't bring anybody else along for the ride and didn't you know set out other branches like that's a part of the problem. That's the greed. You know I mean? Yeah. And that's pretty much like everybody we deal with or whatever is like one way street, but you can't let that get you down because like right. I said, then, then you're in a combat mode and right, like, that's scene, purpose. like scene said, yeah, these guys are out there having a big problem. I can't afford to get involved. <laughs> you know, like those PJ and cap and them, that's their own thing. You know, if they want to get together and paint, we do it, but I'm not getting involved in that. Anybody listening to the, into the, this podcast that wants to look at the original um, documentary, Style Wars, you can just just type it into the YouTube search. 
and check out Style Wars. I'm not sure if it's going to make anything more clear for you, but the original style started with Style Wars and a documentary that came out, what was that, 1981? Something like that, yeah. Something 83, maybe. Yeah. Um, but what Lamont was referring to, um, Style Wars, big influence for us over the years, WWF and NWA, Florida Wrestling, all a big influence over the years, some of the best content creators ever in the history of the world. Yeah. And um, I hope that they look back and were like, hey, we brought better duck along. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. In closing, who did you like better in Style Wars, the Rocksteady crew or NYC Rockers? Oh, I'm Rocksteady. I'm Rocksteady too. Crazy Legs. Yeah, he's the only one still going. Crazy Legs is still going. Original style, original content maker. And he's probably one of the few content makers that are older than us. Yep. Anyway, great episode, Lamont. Thanks for being on the Real Guy Podcast. And run that dog. Run that dog. <laughs>